0: All right so we, we are today in first John chapter 3 verses 4 through 10 I'm hoping that uh, people have been starting to read ahead on here Any show of hands anybody reading ahead or are we just waiting until Sunday you cheater so I know <laughs> So, we're going to be in, in this first this chapter in 1 John again, but I'm hoping that people notice as you glance over it, yes, we are speaking of sin again. Uh, why, why would we speak of sin again? Why does John speak of sin again? Because it's no minor thing, but especially he's speaking of deliberate sin here, okay? That is the the main focus here, I believe. Because of that, that impurity that that sin creates between us and God. The way it can mess up our relationship. That's why that liberation from sin, why the work on the cross is so important. Why Christ's perfect sacrifice is so important. Because, like if, like we've said before, We'll say again a million times, we are doomed without Jesus Christ. That is that is the bottom line here. <clears throat> and yet no one is still without sin, even with what Jesus did, but our topic here as we get into it is going to be on practicing sin. That is the the topic. So I wanted to refresh on what John what God had said through John in these other chapters of 1 John leading up to this so that we can kind of see the foundation that he has set for us on sin so he has talked about when we walk in the light that the blood of Jesus cleanses us all hopefully these are bringing back what we have talked about in the last uh what has it been the last month and a half month or so <clears throat> he's talked about yet yet even though we have been cleansed that we still That we still must say that we have no sin, or that we have sin, because if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. That should we confess that sin, Jesus is righteous, and He will forgive us and cleanse us of those sins. And that if we say that we have not sinned, we are making our God a liar. Okay, and that His word is not in us. These are things that John has said in these previous chapters. That he is writing this to believers so that they will not sin. And that if they do, that Jesus Christ is our advocate with the Father and our perfect sacrifice for our sins and even those of the whole world should they choose to follow Him. So he's writing to them He's writing to a group of people who have been forgiven of their sins. He's writing to Christians. And he is writing to them because they have been forgiven because of the name of Jesus Christ. So in summation of what John has written thus far on sin in this this book, that Jesus cleanses us of sin, that we must admit that we have and confess to Him that He can go to the Father and say, Father, these people are cleansed in My righteousness. They're clothed in My righteousness. And look, Father, they don't say that they don't sin because they know the truth and the truth is in them. My Word is in them. And that though He wishes that we wouldn't sin, when we confess it, He will advocate for us because of His work on the cross. Because of His holy name. So that is what we have talked about of sin. But now we're seeing a little bit more here. John is opening this up a little bit more on sin for us. I just, want, I just hope that people re- remember or think of when we're talking about these things that you give sin the credence that it really deserves that, because it has immense destroying power for our walk with God. But we also must keep close to us the fact that Jesus can conquer all sin through us. He can wash us free of all sin because there's nothing stronger than the blood of Jesus Christ. So let's get into 1 John chapter 3. We're going to be in 4 through 10. Here's verses 4 and 5 where it says, Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. So sin is not just practicing lawlessness, according to John here, it is lawlessness. So the Greek word for lawless here is lawlessness here is anemia, and it's it's a violation of of law. It's to be wicked and unrighteous. Whether that be ignorance, due to ignorance, or whether it is willful violation. Either way, that is what lawlessness is here. <clears throat> I wanted a reference to Romans real quick here on this subject Romans 1 18 through 22. <clears throat> where it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of people who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, that is, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived being understood by what has been made so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God and they did they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their reasonings and their senseless hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise, they became fools. So, we talked of Either a deliberate or a a ignorant act of lawlessness. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because there is no ignorance. There's none without with an excuse. That is what Scripture tells us, and in fact, it tells us that those that would claim to be ignorant are doing what? They are suppressing the truth within themselves. God has laid that truth there. God has shown us the truth in His creation. And people are deliberately suppressing that which they already know. So there is no ignorance when it comes to God. So the, basic, the sin's basic root is being exposed here, which is disregard for God's law. Disregard for the lawmaker. That's why we say that there is no excuse here. But what about, you know, I just didn't understand. I was busy. You know, I had more important things to do. I had a lot of work to do. I had this and that to do. What would others think of me if I became that kind of Jesus guy or something? I know a lot of people that fit that bill. I fit that bill quite extensively for most of my adult life. But when we talk about somebody in that mindset, or even ourselves when we were in that mindset, people will often say, well, I know them. They're a good person, right? We've said that about people. People have probably said that about us at a certain point. That is subjective morality. We've talked about that before. We've talked about that a couple weeks ago. That is subjective morality of what you think is good. That is not biblical morality because everyone needs Jesus Christ. If we could be good, we could earn our own way to heaven. We wouldn't need Him. So we are either lawless vagabonds. What do I mean by lawless vagabonds? I mean that we are in our sins and we do not have an eternal heavenly home. We are either that or we are in Jesus Christ. Those are the two lanes. There's no ride in the median. We are either in Christ saying, I was born in sin, I have practiced sin, my record is tainted, and Jesus, I can't make it home without you. I'm going to follow You. You're going to be my Lord. You're going to be my Savior. You're going to be my God. We're either that or we're lawlessness. So we abide in Christ so that He can take away our sins. Not just for that, but because He loves us. This is talked about before Christ was even born. You remember what the angel Gabriel said? He said in Matthew 1.21, Speaking to Mary, he says, You shall call His name Jesus, for He shall save His people from their sin. That is what He has come to do for us. So Jesus, at His most basic root for us, has come to take away our sins. He takes away the the penalty of our sins immediately when we believe in Him. He takes away the power of sin in our life. This is ongoing because we don't, unfortunately, stop certain sins. We are fallen in nature, and we will sin still. He takes away that presence of sin completely when we pass from here. This is important because if you look at those things again, We cannot take away the penalty of our own sin. Like I said, we can't live perfectly. It's impossible. We can't cleanse ourselves. We can't take away the power that sin has in our life. That's His work, not ours. We just have to be willing to let Jesus clean us up. And we can't take away that presence of sin in our lives. That's his work as well when we cross the veil and are glorified with him <clears throat> after this life. So, <clears throat> chapter, uh, verse 6 <clears throat> says that no one who remains in him sins continually. No one who sins continually has seen Him or knows Him. I honestly feel like these are the verses that people don't like to talk about. But these are continual sins, purposeful sins. These are the ones where you say, you know what, God, you're going to sit this one out. I'm going to do this for a minute. These are the things that people don't like to talk about because these call out hypocrisy. And nobody likes to be called a hypocrite, especially when it's true. So, the true Christian, and we have to say that, the true Christian, because there's there's only one true Christian, can only live in sin temporarily. Think about that. When you were saved, why would you want to keep living like that after what God has done for you? So this is directly to the point. You can't get any more direct than what's going on here. Because if you love sin, if you have submitted to sin, if you live in it, God is saying through John here that you are not with Him. That is what He is saying. It's very direct. You're playing for the other team. So what if you do everything right? You do everything right as well as you can, but you dabble a little bit in porn. You hate just a few people, just one or two, just those ones that really deserve it, you know? Obviously, we know that is not okay. That is what's being said here. Those are deliberate. The key here is when somebody has a mindset where they can do these things and then still in the back of their head still say, Thank God for Jesus' grace. He's got me on this one. Even though I just went and did that fully on purpose. I'll just keep on. He'll be alright with it. So when people, anybody, it doesn't matter who, when we get out of the Word, when we get out of prayer, when we get out of an intimate relationship with God... These things start seeming a little bit more okay. You start getting these feelings like they could. Well, anyway, I can just get away with it a little bit here. You know, I'll repent of it afterwards. I'll be okay. Right? <clears throat> I will talk about that as searing your conscience. Mm hmm. Searing your conscious with like a hot iron. Like mm-hmm. It's just a little bit here, a little bit there. Next thing you know, you totally just shivered everything because. This one little thing becomes a bigger and bigger thing, you know. And it's like, well, this is okay, but it's, in reality, your conscience says no. But you're searing it. Mm-hmm. The point where you don't know what's right, what's wrong. You're acclimating yourself to sin. Yeah. So people often will think of things like this that they're okay with sins that are not seen. We all know that there are sins that the general public does not see from us. They can't see in our head can't see what we do when nobody's watching, but we wouldn't be okay with the big sins like that if I just, well, I just want to get away with one or two murders. I mean, those guys, they deserved it, right? Or just one or two rapes, or just a little bit of adultery. People would call us out immediately on that. We would call ourselves out immediately on that, I would hope. But it's these sins that people think nobody can see. That's the ones that they're talking about here. That's the ones that people are doing. So put it, put, let me put it as a question in a different way here. The question is not whether or not we sin. We know that we do. The question is, how do you, how do I, react when we do sin? How do you react? Does it become a pattern? Does it dominate your life? Or... Do you confess it? Do you battle with it? Do you let Jesus Christ help cleanse you of this? We recognize it. That's do you recognize it? Yeah. If you're in the Word, you're going to recognize it. If you're in prayer with God, you're going to recognize it. So what we don't want to do is we don't want to get to a point in our life where we shake hands with sin and we have given it a treaty. That is not something that we're doing here. That mindset of, well, everybody's got their sin, this one's just mine. Guess we'll be okay with it for a while. You know, generally scripture talks about not hating, but I, I think there's an exception for hating sin. We shouldn't want, shouldn't like our sin. We should be allowing Christ to conquer our sin, because no sin is so great that Christ cannot do away with it in our lives. So, let's go to uh, verse 7 here. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. So, this makes sense. Those of us who have put on faith and allegiance, a life in Christ, to practice righteousness. We are striving for a righteousness that we cannot fully achieve, yet has been given to us by Christ before the Father. So we're doing this out of love because God has loved us first. He has saved us first, and this is why we do these things. But we cannot separate religious righteousness from a life of righteousness. Does that make sense? We can't just enjoy that righteousness here in the church, and then as soon as we leave that building, it's anything goes. That's what's going on here. That's the emphasis here. <clears throat> and yes, we are not made righteous by anything we do, only by what Christ has done for us. But His righteousness will be evident in how we live. If it's not, something's wrong. We're going to be imperfect, but people are going to know, oh, that person's a Christian. That's because of what they have done. The way they walk. And it would seem that in in this epistle, John is talking about this because there must be people, based on what he's saying here, make sure no one deceives you, There must be people saying that you can be righteous and not live righteous. So he's calling them out. Hopefully these are not people in the church that he was talking to. Hopefully he's just protecting the church, but you never know. Uh, Charles Spurgeon has a really great quote on this, a little one-liner, something to think about. says that grace that does not change my life will not save my soul. Okay? Grace that does not change my life will not save my soul. All right, so verses 8-9 through here. Kind of speeding along here. The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who has been born of God practices sin because his seed remains in him. And he cannot sin continually because he has been born of God. So here we are see, really seeing the new bit of information on sin that John wanted to share. That those who live in lawlessness, practice lawlessness, are of the devil. That's another one of those things people are not going to want to hear that, but that is the painful truth. You're either of Christ or... Or you're of the Satan. Your excuses aren't going to help you at Judgment Day. You have to be in Christ. So, <clears throat> we are born of God now. We are children of God. And God has said that He will destroy Satan's works. He's not going to neutralize them. He's not going to just minimize them or limit them. He says, destroy So think about that. How can the two mix? They can't. It's like oil and water. So through Adam, we died. Everybody remember that in Genesis? So just take a bite of this fruit and you will die. Surely you will die. But through Christ, we have been born again into eternal life. So that redemptive work of Christ what we are being told here is that work has destroyed the ability for you to continually sin. Christ died for that. He was resurrected for that. So that you would not do these things, that you would not be of the devil, that you would be holy and righteous and born into an eternally royal family of God. These are the things you have to remember. John is simply put saying, if you wanted to minimize it, he's saying if you're born again, there's going to be a change. That's what he's saying. And there's a lot of people that will say that that is not so, but that is what the Scriptures say, and they're either true or they're not. You can take your stance on Scripture, but I take it as to be true. So, let's... Uh, Let's look at our last verse here. Verse 10. It says, By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother and sister. So, like we said a couple weeks ago, I think it was, There's a lot of different religions in the world, a lot of different faiths that are not Christian-based, denominations that are not, and you'll have people telling you, especially in the world nowadays, that any one of them will lead you to heaven. God is saying you have to be a child of God. He's not saying that there's 50 different lineages there, there's one. The Bible doesn't state that any religion will get you into heaven. It's not being hateful to say that the Buddhist or the Muslim or whatever is not going to make it into heaven. It's telling them the truth because we want them to get into heaven. Because God has drawn the line in the sand. <clears throat> the line of the sand in verse 10, which is clearly talking about here, is Satan, God. Satan, God. There's no towing the line as much as somebody might want to to dip in and out of one side or the other when they feel like it. <clears throat> and God, and God and John here, do not even bother with establishing the existence of Satan. They speak of him as he is, that he exists. Okay, they're talking to people who know that the devil exists. And this is important because he is saying here that your spiritual spiritual parentage is going to determine your nature and your destiny. That's going to determine it. It's not a scare tactic. It's just the reality of the situation. You have two choices. <clears throat> so in additionally here, John is reminding us and also setting us up for next week of that if you don't love your Christian siblings, which are not just in this church building, which are all over the world, I hope, that you are in the same boat if you don't love your Christian siblings. Because it's not a balancing act between righteousness and loving others. It's not a balancing act between righteousness and loving those in the faith. They are one and the same. You can't have one and not the other. So if you see somebody who is not loving those, they are having the same issue as somebody who is not practicing righteousness. So Jesus displayed both of those, and so it's our, our duty, our obligation to do the same as He did.